We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to The Truth Perspective on the SOT Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and as usual this week with me is Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. And Harrison Keeley is here with us, too. Hi. We also have a very special guest, not often on the show, but when she is, we're very happy. Laura Nydiacic is here. Hi. And our extra special guest is Stefan Verstappen, who is the focus of our interview or talk today. Uh, welcome to the show, Stefan. Thanks for having me on again, Joe. I'll just give a little word about you, Stefan. Um, we've, we've interviewed Stefan a couple of times previously. Uh, he's done a lot of work on um, historical cycles, for those who remember. Um, little bio, Stefan has over 35 years of experience in, the, in martial arts, including five years spent in East, East Asia. In 1985, he traveled to uh, well, throughout Asia and studied martial arts in Hong Kong, Taipei, Thailand, Korea, and mainland China. He is the author of eight books, including The 36 Strategies of Ancient China, Blind Zen, and The Art of Urban Survival. His website is chinastrategies.com, and he also has a YouTube channel where he posts all of his videos, um, which I think is called China Strategies, right, Stefan? Um, you know what? The, uh, the channel is it's just my name. Yeah. Oh, it's your name, Stefan Verstappen. Okay, so yeah, so you can check yeah, him out yeah. there. Like, people can check you out there. Um <laughs> Stefan, like I said, it's great to have you back on the show. We always enjoy talking to you. Um, you recently, I mentioned you, we talked to you previously about uh, your work on historical cycles, etc. But you've recently um, embarked on a new kind of, uh, maybe a, a new focus, uh, and it's the way of the warrior, hence the title of our show. Um, so perhaps since we're all kind of, um, I suppose new to this to some extent uh, you could start by telling us um, when you talk about the way of the warrior what do you mean by a warrior well a warrior is really a mindset it's an attitude and it's a lifestyle as well and the mindset the attitude and the lifestyle um, for what I would call and traditionally has been called a warrior is the opposite it's the antithesis to the lifestyle and mindset of a slave. And the problem uh, with our society is that we have been from an early age brainwashed through the educational system, through the media, through movies, entertainments, uh, and uh, more recently through music and, and, uh, and the Internet. We have been conditioned and encouraged at every step of the way to think like a slave. And to and, and what I mean by that is a slave is dependent on his master, and the state is our master. So the state wants us dependent on them. So what the state doesn't want is any self-reliance. Um, they don't want people to actually do anything for themselves. That's why we see all these ridiculous laws that you're not allowed to grow a garden or or collect rainwater or 
you know, God forbid you should build a, a, you know, a workshop in your backyard without a permit. This, you know, the city would be tear the whole thing down. Right. All of this is designed to keep you dependent on the state. Now, one facet of the way of the warrior is you do things for yourself. You don't rely on other people. You stand on your own two feet and you get things done. Um, so one aspect of the warrior uh, or the way of the warrior is self-reliance. Another aspect is bravery. A warrior is brave. Now, bravery doesn't mean you lack fear, um, because if you're not a psychopath, you will on occasion feel fear. Uh, psychopaths and the only other people uh, that suffer from something like that is called that. Uh, Earbock Vitas disease, where they don't have the ability to feel fear, but that's an unnatural state. We're, we're, you know, mammals, animals. Fear is a survival instinct. So if you didn't have fear, you wouldn't have a good survival instinct. But what bravery is is to overcome your fear. Now, internally, you may may be feeling nervous, that and and hesitant, but your intellect will say to you that intellect and your heart will say, "I need to." accomplish these activities or these tasks and I won't let fear stop me. So bravery is part of the art of the warrior. Now what the state wants is you to be afraid. I mean look at all the propaganda that's going on. There's nothing, you know, there's not a news story or television news article that isn't designed to make you afraid. You know, oh terrorists have been running that ridiculous routine now for 15 16 years the terrorists are going to get you and then it's going to be the crime and it's going to be well you know um they're doing everything to intimidate you and for those of us that are awake what they're also doing is i mean they're so blatant in their tyranny right you think they would do a better job of hiding how corrupt and evil they are and they're not doing that on purpose and i think the reason they're not doing that on purpose is because there are people like us that are awake that see that in it. We said, look what these bastards are doing now. Away with it. And the very fact that we sit back and we have to watch our world go down in flames uh, right before our very eyes by these this psychopathic cabal that's running things is frightening. You know. Mm. So, you know, bravery for the average person, even the ones that don't know what's going on, but even more so for those of us that do know, know what's going on, because these are really trying times. And uh, I'm scared. You know, I'm scared a lot of the time. But I'm scared. You know, what am I going to do? You're scared, Laura? Oh, right? yeah. yeah. I'm no, scared but, all the time. But if you, if you weren't scared, you wouldn't be human. You know, I, I mean, uh, if you're a bunny and, and there's wolves crawling through the through the tunnel coming towards you or foxes or um, um, ferrets, you should be scared. Of course, it's a survival instinct. So I'm scared. Laura's scared. Um, Joe, you're probably scared a little yep. bit, right? He's there terrified. So, but the thing is, we all keep doing what we do. We, we're fighting back. We're standing yep. our ground. We're not, you know, going into a fetal position in the corner of our room and, and, and refusing to speak to anybody. That's what happens when fear takes over and controls you. So we all feel fear. That's fine. But we have to be warriors, which means even though these are our feelings, we have a character drive or, our, or an intellectual, something that's separate. It's our character. It's our soul that says, I'm not going to let it stop me. I might be afraid, but I'm going to fight back. And I'm going to stand my ground. Mm. So bravery, bravery is a part of it. Go ahead. Yeah, 
I was going to say on that point of, of fear and, and bravery or courage, I mean, these kind of, you mentioned <clears throat> just a minute ago there, these kind of terrorist attacks that have been going on. We had this most recent one in Orlando. And I suppose the uh, the goal or certainly the effect of those is to generate or engender fear in, in the population. Um, and I think a lot of people's response to that is to look uh, for, uh, to assuage that fear they, they, they look to government, to authority, to, to make them feel better, to give them security. So um, while everybody feels fear, I think it's more difficult for people who, who have a tendency not to look to government to, for, to, for security, you know, but must stand on their own kind of like... Yeah, those who know that the, the, the government is creating and right. propagating the fear. Well, you're left without anybody to look to, right, except yourself for your own resources. And it's probably more difficult for someone like that, like us, than someone who's just a member of the population who will just fly into the arms of authority to say, uh, protect me. Save me, save me. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's the point I was making, um, that those of us that see what's going on, it's even more terrifying. So you're right. Mm. Um, you know, the, the government from, you know, its first inception of any kind of organized government has always been a protection racket. It's just like the mafia. It's just like the triads, you know. They, you know, they come up to your place of business and they go, oh, you know, something could happen to you. Something bad mm. could happen. But, you know, if you pay us money, we'll make sure nothing bad happens to you. So uh, it's a protection racket. That's what government has always been. Now, for the average person on the street, they see this, you know, Orlando incident and all the other staged or instigated or orchestrated. I don't know what uh, I don't believe a word of anything I see on media, so I don't know anything about Orlando because, personally, I was not there, mm. and I can't trust anything I see through the the TV. Did this guy kill these people? I don't know. Was it really a gay bar? I don't know. Was it a Hollywood movie set? Who knows? What, what, how can I judge based on what I see through TV? It's all nonsense. It's all bullshit on TV. But for the average person, they see that, and then it's like, and especially with the, the liberals and, and the prog social progressives, it's, oh, the government has to protect me by taking everybody's guns. <laughs> so they're scared because, uh, you know, some people might have guns and shoot them. So let's take everybody's guns. Of course, they never say let's take the policeman's guns or the government's guns, but let's take everybody else's guns. So that fear mechanism works perfect on the man on the street. Now, for the folks listening in and for the folks on the air right now, uh, we're not buying into that bullshit. But on the other hand, we are scared at the realization that our government is so psychopathic and corrupt that they would stage these events, whether or not they actually killed 53 people or they did, um, I wouldn't put it past them either way anyways. But the fact that they're doing this and they're ramping this up, and we know it's because they want to fulfill some sort of agenda, and that agenda is, of course, to enslave us all completely and have us licking everybody's boots. That's what they always want. You know, that's what psychopaths want. Absolute and total control and us groveling in the dirt. So that's the agenda. Now, for those of us that understand the agenda, it's frightening too. Yeah, I'm scared about it. Every time they pull this nonsense off, I think, well, what are they going to do next? You know, mm. are they going to drop, you know, a couple of tons of arsenic in the water supply? You know, and blame that on terrorists. And meanwhile, you know, half of Detroit dies. You know, who knows what they're capable of? Right. I don't put anything past them. No, okay. me neither. So, yeah, I mean, so that's kind of the essence. I mean, that's obviously we have a very... um 
direct example of of a situation that requires the the qualities as you're describing them of a of a warrior and we kind of touched already on the idea of who can and can't be a warrior would you say i mean technically everybody can be but not everybody's going to be well you know from an egalitarian point of view everybody can be a warrior but mm. To be honest with you, just between you, me, you, me, and the audience, uh, no, not everybody can be a warrior. People <clears throat> have to have, you know. Let's go back to Goethe for a second. You need to have magnetic center in order to attract the proper influences that can develop a soul. And it's the same thing with a warrior. I mean, if you just never had any kind of uh, curiosity or inquisitiveness or a thirst for knowledge or the idea that you need to work on yourself to make yourself a better human being and a more enlightened human being. If that's never occurred to you in life to do that, you will never become a warrior. A warrior is for those people that have already had the calling. That's what the, you know, the old Christians used to call it. Uh, you know, when you went into the priesthood, mm -hmm. you had the calling, right? right? Well, the calling is what I would interpret that whole idea of the calling is magnetic center. The magnetic center, that part of the, your, your being that we don't know how it comes about or how it doesn't come about, but it drives you to seek knowledge and to improve yourself and not to be satisfied with your being at the state that it is now. You know? And I had my, I call it 12. Day. I sought to improve, become, become stronger, to become more aware, to know more, to understand what our purpose on this planet is and and so i have now been you know searching for 50 years almost uh for for truth and answers but that's again because of you know the magnetic center drives me to do that so for people that are listening right now i can guarantee everyone that's listening now has this magnetic center otherwise you wouldn't be tuning in you wouldn't be part of this whole program so you all know that you have been called to a spiritual path. Now, there are spiritual paths you can choose, you know, and one of them is the way of the warrior. And it's, you know, an, e you know, an equal path to many of the other paths that are out there. Uh, with the slight difference is that with the way of the warrior, you're just a little bit more rugged and you're a little bit more, you know, you're kind of like the shock troops on the spiritual path, you know. Um, so that's... Yes, if you have the spiritual path already, uh, if you get my book, there's a lot of techniques. The book is, it's an instruction manual, so there's no philosophy, there's no, uh, you know, my thoughts on the world or anything. No, it's really an instruction manual. And uh, if you want to incorporate some or any of those exercises and ideas from that book into your current spiritual path into your current spiritual practices then they will integrate perfectly you know um you know for example i have exercises on how to improve sensory perception you know how to see better how to hear better improve your balance and your sense of proprioception um basically how to develop what um, gurdjieff would call your instinctive center and the instinctive center uh is the source of a lot of really powerful insights um, Laura will back me up on this. You understand, you know, women's intuition oh. and you understand how you can work on instinct, right? Laura. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she agrees. Can I get an amen? <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, uh, 
the instinctive center is really a powerful center. So some of these exercises will help you develop the instinctive center. So for those people that are on a spiritual path that involves, let's say, mostly meditation, uh, meditation is good. It develops a lot of uh, uh, capabilities. And, but by adding, you know, some exercises to develop your instinct really will broaden your path. So that's, that's you know, some of the things that you can do with the way of warrior. It's uh, we're spiritual warriors and we're on the front line. So we just got a little bit braver than most people. We got to be a little bit more self-reliant. Uh, we have to use our critical thinking more again. You know, it's one of the qualities or the characteristics of being a warrior is critical thinking. Now, of course, this again is opposite to what the state wants. State wants you just to swallow the propaganda the way they feed it to you and just say thank you sir may i have another um they don't want people to think for themselves and so they manipulate us to get some guy in a white coat and a piece of paper to tell us you know uh radiation cures cancer <laughs> right, um, right. and then because we and, and because well he's got a white coat on he's got a piece of paper in his hand um i guess he knows so i won't look into it any further and i will go get my radiation dose or you know you got the white coat and a piece of paper saying well you know vaccinations will prevent disease um you know they want you just to take it at face value but a warrior doesn't take anything at face value a warrior will take that statement and go i'll look into it further on my own i will Always read the counter arguments to any kind of argument I do. You know, if somebody says the sky is blue, I will read articles um, by people that say the sky is green. And then I will make my own judgment. I'll read articles by people that say the sky is red, orange, pink, and yellow, you know. And then I will make my own judgment based on the arguments and based on my rational understanding and logic. Mm -hmm. So if somebody tells me something, I don't just swallow it and accept it. Yes, that must be true. No, never. I always say, let me look at it and I'll decide on my own. Mm -hmm. So critical thinking is an important part of being a warrior and being on a spiritual path. You have to think critically. And by thinking critically, you are the antithesis of what the government wants again. You know, they've spent a lot of money sending you through 12 years of indoctrination programming so that you will not think critically, right? So the last thing they want you to do is to pick this up now. But follow the way of the warrior means you don't trust anything. Well, you don't trust information on face value. You trust your own judgment. There's another aspect of this that I would like to bring up. As I was just telling you before we got started here, I just came out of a long period of studying Near Eastern history, ancient history. And the one thing I notice is is that the U.S. Western uh, uh, power structure is very similar to um, the Assyrian Empire, which was basically a protection racket. But what you also notice throughout history is the way these empires coming and going, rising and falling, uh, decimate populations. They decimate them by, you know, exercising the protection rack, racket function. You know, like, as you said, we something could happen to you, and basically it's like, uh, give us your stuff or something's going to happen to you or pay us your money, mm -hmm. and so then, of course, when anybody rebels, they destroy all of them and take their stuff anyway, mm -hmm. and then they use their own people as cannon fodder. Of course, they didn't have cannons at the time. They had, uh, you know, throwing rocks and arrows and 
spears and swords and so forth, but anyhow, it still amounted to the same thing. They were using their own people as their their soldiers, so they would wipe them out, and they'd take them, of course, away from the field so they couldn't be producing food, and then they would be killing off the people on the periphery so that they weren't producing food, and then these empires again and again found themselves in positions where they had decimated populations. Nobody was producing anything. They'd killed off the people who were creative and, and, and had artistic or technological knowledge, and they ended up, uh, the empires would, and of course they would, it had so many people hating them that the empires collapsed. But the thing I want to get to is this, this vast, uh, group of people, you know, the, the average person. And the average person isn't going to be a warrior, let's face it, even if they're pulled out of, you know, from behind their plow and, and put in a uniform and sent to march. They're not really a warrior. They're just, they're just a, you know, a statistic in a war machine or a cog in a war machine. But there are these, all these other people, they just want to live their lives. They just want to plow their fields, so to speak. They just want to raise their children, you know, have a little, uh, uh, a little vacation time, you know, when the harvest comes in, a little party and a dance and so forth. And I'm putting this all in kind of like ancient terms, but it still amounts to the same thing. And so it seems to me that when there are people, and of course back then the elites were the scribes, they were the uh, uh, the temple officials, the family members of the royal families and so forth, they were the only people who were who were considered to be elite. And then of course there were the the military elite. But we're talking here about something entirely different. We're talking about uh, psychological and spiritual warriors arising from within the larger population of the masses of people. And then only, I would say, maybe maybe 1% or 2% of that large mass of people have this capacity. So you still, you know, after you've eliminated the psychopaths from your counting and the other uh, pathological types and so forth, and you get down to just the masses of, of you know, fairly normal people, you're still only going to have a percentage of them who are capable of warriorship. And this is something that Castaneda addressed when he t- described that uh, there were two kinds of people, he said, and uh, w- one kind, you know, the ordinary person, they had like two of these spinning circles of light or something that you could see, and then there were the other kind who could be warriors or seers and had the three spinning spinning rings of light or circles of light. So we have a a difference here. And what I want to talk about or what I would like you to talk about or or address is the responsibility of the warriors to help others. Because if if others had uh, responsible governments, if they had Governments that set good examples. I mean, you can see the problem. I mean, everybody's acting like idiots because the, the government sets the example of acting like an idiot. But if they had responsible yes. people in positions of power or authority, they would begin to act responsibly themselves. So what is necessary is for warrior types to set examples, to really live the absolute cleanest lives possible, to do what they uh, what they teach, to... You know, not only talk the talk, but to walk the walk, that, that, that sort of thing. And to help other people, you know, when they have their fears, you know, to, to, to talk to them, to support them, to help them to talk to each other, that sort of thing. So how do you feel about the responsibility of the warrior towards other people, towards the larger group of humanity? 
Well, you, you, you've uh, described it perfectly. You see, from my opinion, and uh, take it for what it's worth, the world is divided up into um, 5% psychopaths, um, 10% born leaders, and then we've got the rest of the 85% that just want to be left alone and raise their family. And there's nothing wrong with the other 85%. Here's the problem. What's, what I see has happened with our society is that we have allowed that 5% psychopaths to control everything. Now, when they control everything, they program the 85%. Right. Now, they've what they've done is they've programmed the 85% of the rest of humanity to be idiots and selfish and lunatics and sex obsessed and drug addict addicted. And, you know, they've done everything they can to take that 85% and turn them into crap, you know, absolutely useless for any practical purpose. Um, the warriors uh, in society can reverse that once those psychopaths are gone or once the influence of them are gone. And, and they're going to go because just like, you, you, you know, you've studied the Assyrian Empire and they collapsed really fast and they were so hated and loathed by the rest of the world at that time that I, I forget, did they salt the fields? Did they, you know, destroy their cities? Uh, but they were never mentioned again. That's how this despised the Assyrians are, which is what's going to happen to America and Britain, too. They're going to be so despised by the rest of the world. They're going to be destroyed, and everybody's going to spit every time they hear the, the name America, you know. So um, once they're gone and they go because they just, they tear the, you know, it, it's like Samson, you know, like uh, they tear the temple down around them, right? So they'd rather kill everybody and as many people and tear it all down when they go as as uh, as not. So left, the 10% that can be real warriors. Now, let me just add one little hopeful uh, benefit to this, and that is, yeah, even though there's a certain percentage that are like born leaders, it doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of people that can take some of these techniques or apply some of these principles to their life. And even though they might not become a great warrior and a great leader in their community, they can still do a lot more, uh, better, healthier, more positive influence on society. But let's say we take, you know, the true warriors. Their responsibility then is as pathfinder, as a way to lead the rest of the 85% reprogram them because, you know, if I was in charge of, you know, all media and all movies and all education, design a program that by the time you're 12 years old, you have a medical degree and you also have a degree in philosophy. There's no reason a 12 year old kid couldn't already have learned enough to earn two college degrees by the time they reach grade six. You know, their minds are a sponge. They, and we've seen in the past in the history uh, um, you know, and even in the last 150 years that, you know, uh, the founding fathers, many of them, by the time they were 13, they already had responsible jobs and the equivalent of a high school diploma, uh, college diploma. So I would design a system where, you know, by the time you're 12, you already speak six languages, you have two college degrees. I mean, that's all possible, you know. Um, also, I would program the movies and the music and everything that, virtue would be kind of honored instead of now what we see is you know psychopathic behavior is always rewarded you know take a look at those tv shows like um 
like, what was it, Seinfeld and uh, Two and a Half Men and things like that. I, you know, I watched a couple of those shows just out of morbid curiosity. And what I see is what I see in most of entertainment, and that is there's a bunch of psychopathic characters, and they're so funny because they're psychopathic and they understand that the whole world is just rotten and corrupt. And then there's one or two characters that want to think good of people, and they're naive because they have a conscience and they try to do good in the world and then all laugh at them and then get abused at the end. You know, they always walk dog or something, you know, so that's what they've done. They've, you know, completely turned this world upside down where evil is good and good is evil. Smart is stupid. Stupid is smart. So if I was in control of, you know, what these psychopaths are in control of, it would be just as easy to program those 85 percent of the people to be noble, caring, loving, productive, positive people in the world. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the psychopaths have taken it over. And so, you know, the vast majority, it's not their fault. But, you know, what are what good are they? Well, to who? To what? Um, you know, in the greater scheme of things, not a lot of not a lot of good right now. But that's the programming. So let's say, you know, somehow we are able to rid ourselves of this cancer and you know, the the media starts to break down. And we're actually seeing that now. You know, nobody really believes mainstream media anymore. I mean, they're dying quickly, and the sooner they're gone, the better. So that leaves people like us and your radio show and thing and my YouTube videos to try to, you know, offer some counter-programming. So the way of the warrior, yeah, if you're uh, um, on a spiritual path and you follow the way of the warrior, then you are the example – and your your example is to counter program the or uh, um, there used to be a deprogram. Sorry, um, deprogram the rest of the population. If not, you know, the, at least the people that are in your sphere of influence, deprogram them and show them a better way or a more positive way through your own actions, through your own independent thought, and through your own bravery. Wouldn't you say that that's something that, uh, say, Vladimir Putin is doing right now, that he is setting an example uh, in spite of the fact that the uh, Western mainstream media never loses an opportunity to defame or smear him or misrepresent him in some way or other? Yeah, well, certainly uh, he embodies a, a, or he presents a warrior ethic, um, aesthetic to the public and – I want to like the guy, I, but the thing is, I, like I said, what do I know about him? I only get my information through some form of media. Do I trust the media? Absolutely not. You know, when I see pictures of him doing judo or going swimming, and the, the guy looks rugged, he looks tough, he uh, projects a warrior image, and I'll be honest with you, I really want to like the guy. I really want to think he's sincere, and I like the way, you know, from what I understand, the way he stands up against uh, – uh, Obama, Miss Obama there. And um, so uh, I think he presents a really good image. Is it for real? I don't know, because ultimately, um, what do we know, right? Uh, if I spent a month living with him, I could tell you whether or not the guy was genuine. But since that would be impossible for me to do, and since all my information comes through some form of official media. I can't tell whether the guy is sincere or not. But well, he certainly projects image. Uh, 
Yeah, but ultimately, what, what we're saying is, is, is it almost doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, setting the example. So he's setting the example of how, you know, a presidential figure should behave. Right. He's setting the example of, uh, uh, you know, how a peacemaker should be, you know, how, I mean, what a real man is. He's setting that example personally. And, uh, even if we can't know whether it's true or not, He's doing a darn good job of it, and if people and I, and I think a lot of people are responding to that, you know. Yeah. I think I think you can glean some yeah. information from the media, you know, in terms of not just what, uh, well, and uh, as concerns Putin, what they say about him, and also what they don't say about him, what they leave out. I mean, they have attacked him repeatedly, and they've also left out a lot of information uh, about things that he has done. Or twisted it, so you can look to the Western media, which we know, as you say, is uh, really a, a, a bunch of uh, it's just a propaganda arm of the government of the Western governments, uh, and look to them and what they do and don't do in reference to Putin, for example, and get some information about what Putin is really like. You can't know for sure, but you can draw some conclusions. He's still, like he's like your warrior. I mean, he's like exactly what you're talking about. Only he has managed to get into a position where he can set a wider example. And so maybe other warriors uh, could congregate or uh, what, how, how would you put it, like support this and, and spread it and say, yeah, hey, look, you know, Putin is exactly what I'm talking about, you know. And, and I mean, you, I hope you have a section about him in your book because, I mean, it's really a, it's really a, a hot topic and I think it's a really valuable um, way to set an example because, you know, as you say, you can't know, but then what we do know is the example he's setting, and what we also know is the way the Western mainstream media never loses an opportunity to try to defame him, which almost tells you that he must be the real deal, right? Right. Well, then, like I said, I, I really admire the image that he projects. He, he is embodying the whole warrior image. And, and the martial arts it, thing, good... everything. I mean, he's just like just yeah. like you. I mean, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. No, like me personally, I really want to like the guy. The trouble is I'm so skeptical of everything. Uh, but personally, I support the image that I project him because – and I also think it's important to – see that he is projecting that warrior image and a lot of people are really responding to it in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So that goes to show you that the need among people for warriors now is really great um, right. because, you know, right? Um, so whether or not he's really a warrior and, and he's not playing some duplicitous role, it doesn't matter. What matters is that his image is that of a warrior mm. and that uh, people are responding to that. And, yeah, no, I, I, from what I see, I like the guy. And mm. the more the Western media attacks him, great. Uh, my slight hesitation is this: the mainstream media is also attacking Trump. Um, but then, you know, I'll see a, a videotape of Trump speaking at APAC, pledging his undying loyalty to Israel. Now, I'm sorry, if you pledge your undying loyalty to a criminal state, I have some doubts about you as a human being after mm. that, you know. Yeah. So I'm not sure, you know, like there's wheels within wheels. There's propaganda within propaganda. Is the Western media attacking Putin simply to build him up? Who knows, right? Well, on the other um, hand, the Western mainstream media that goes after Trump – uh, to some extent, 
supports the hell out of Hillary Clinton. And, uh, you know, basically here we're just talking about one psychopath versus another. You know, I mean, she, she, yeah. she he he was shown pledging undying loyalty to that unmentionable, you know, Middle Eastern state. However, she has been kissing backsides over there for, for a long, long time. I mean, she's got a history of it, you know, and it's just like. Oh, yeah. yeah. One, one of the things that annoys me, uh, and it's a bit of a, I suppose it's a bit of a <clears throat> pessimistic view, but what pisses me off about the U.S. leaders is that at the very least, uh, people should be given a leader that embodies, at least pretends to embody or tries to fake it at least in a fairly good way, kind of authoritarian or at least strong, you know, I will protect you. Ethical. Uh, like, even if they're lying, corrupt, conniving bastards behind the scene, at they least if they exactly. put on a good and show they're not for even the people, doing they that don't anymore. even put on a good show, they're lying, conniving bastards and they're pusillanimous pricks in, in, in public, you know, to everybody. And they just leave people with nothing, Beep. nothing, you know. Uh, but listen, I didn't say that. Anyway, I know. Uh, we have a... Seven, we have a call. I'm just going to go ahead and take it here. I've been keeping him on the line for a little while. Okay. Sure, sure. Yeah. Hi, caller. Who have we got on the line? Hi, it's TC. Hi, TC. Am I coming through okay? Yeah, maybe I can uh, increase your volume a little bit, or maybe you can. Uh, How's that? Well, yeah, just speak up. Okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, go back to what you were saying about the responsibility, the personal responsibility of um, taking on the role of uh, a warrior. Because when when you first get introduced to the, the concepts of the work, it's quite a blur um, for your confidence, for your, for your uh, previous shaky self-confidence. And you, and you learn kind of like what, what uh, Stefan has been talking about, um, being... Uh, skeptical about the things in the outer world, you become skeptical about yourself and um, that that kind of thing. Um, and so you're taught that, well, at the beginning, you need to go through this period of self-observation so that, you know, you, you learn to separate out the, the good from the bad within you and, and be able to see yourself uh, objectively and... Um, but all, all the time in the back of your mind, you're thinking, uh, I, I'm not what I think I am. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not capable of doing, for example, that's a, that's a good one. You know, we're, we're not capable of doing anything. Um, but. Well, those uh, are the kind of feelings that would come up. I think as, as someone explored the idea of, of being a warrior and, and facing the responsibilities, as you say, of being a warrior, those are the kind of things that would come up. Um, people would start to doubt themselves a little bit because of the fear, because like we just described at the beginning of the show, it is quite um, a scary thing to do, to stand on your own, be your own kind of, uh, um, your own authority effectively. And um, that can bring all sorts of, um, you know, bring up sorts of fears and doubts, etc., etc. But I suppose in that case, it's a matter of staying the course, well, yeah, that's the, I mean, you, you, Joe, talk a lot about the process the, and everything, being, you know, the, the self-development being a process. And there comes a point where you have to realize or where you do realize, hang on a minute. Um, yeah, like the humility is essential. And, um, you know, that is, a, that is one of the, the main goals is humility. 
Um, but you have, you, it gets to a point where you have to think, hang on, I've, maybe I've gone through the first stages of the process. Or, you know, there's no, what, what's been the point in doing all this stuff if it's not leading me onto, onto the next stage? Or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I've gotten to a point where I am a, a bit more capable of, of doing things now. Um, and, and yeah, like when, when you get to that point, maybe like, maybe you've just got to think, ah, okay, now it's time to take on this responsibility. Um, you know, re- uh, get your confidence back in a way through doing, um, and then, and then going, going back to what you were saying about like sitcoms, the polarized culture and, and that sort of thing. Um, there's no heroes. There's no, there's no examples of what a, a strong in, a person with integrity, how they go about their lives. Um, and I think yes, yes, Putin is yes. setting that example for everybody now. And, um, on whether or not you can put your faith in him, I just think you have to look at by their fruits, you will know them. And the guy's born mm-hmm. a lot of fruit. Right. I think, I think actually what, referencing Trump in the US that's as good as it gets in terms of uh, someone who just even <laughs> provides a semblance of a real you know leader or authoritarian and it's pretty poor you know it's a pretty poor example but that's as good as it gets I mean, he's oh, a freaking clown he needs a, a, a fuzzy wig a big red nose and giant floppy shoes and baggy outfits but remember he's already got the hair Adolf Hitler was considered to be a clown too Right. Well, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah, TC brought up a lot of uh, a lot of really good points there, um, and I confess, uh, I will reveal that my inspiration to become a martial artist was because I was in a Gurdjieff group and I was doing the work, and uh, I realized that I needed to work on my moving instinctive center, and I couldn't. You know, obviously, there were no uh, teachers of Sufi dancing here in Toronto in the nineteen seventies. So uh, I thought I would recreate the philosophy of developing the moving instinctive center by studying martial arts. And so that's where I'm coming from this. And what you said um, about, you know, there aren't any warrior images. And yeah, that's it. There are no warrior images, not temporary. I mean, we have... Uh, you know, some historical movies once in a while where, and then we have the, the comic books. That's our warrior image, you know, Batman and Superman and all that nonsense, right? But we don't see a real warrior image in, 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 in the public sphere. And Putin does present that. And for that reason alone, I do admire, um, you know, there is an example of a man that can, you know, he's a martial artist, he's a, a swimmer, he's a, a helicopter pilot, and he can do this. You know, I mean, this is what a warrior is, someone that's capable. But let's get back to what TC said about doing and the, uh, and, and, and the, yes. So, and that's why I tell people, there is nothing you can say to me that I haven't already said to myself. Um, and, but the thing is, now are at a time, my last video is called A Time for Warriors. We are now at the stage in our civilization that we have to, you know, walk along the razor's edge, which means on the one side, we have this self-doubt, and I do. Have I observed myself enough? Um, you know, have I, you know, cleansed my 
my my my being of all the all the faults I have perceived through my self observation and my mechanicalness and yes we got to balance that but we don't have any time anymore we we have to say listen I'm going to balance all that I'm going to put it in the back of my mind all my flaws all my insecurities all my fears. They're there, I acknowledge them, but I'm putting them in the back of my mind, and to the best of my ability, I'm going to be a warrior, And which means, you know what it means? It means to, the ability to do, just like Gurdjieff explained, which is a really rare ability. Uh, most people think they can do things, but they actually don't do things. They're just a toaster going through the motions. Uh, you know. Yeah. So a warrior is somebody that can do now we might not have the power to do and be all the time but where when possible we make the effort to do and that is to present that image um to ourselves and to the people around us well i think that the point of um sometimes making the best of what you've got comes into the equation but it's kind of like the old myth about if you can get a god's name then you've got power over that God. And that's like, uh, we, 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 we feel we've got more power over something if we can put a name to it, if we can put a label to it. And so even if we haven't ironed out all of the things that are going on inside us that like annoy us or that we haven't got control over or something like that, if we've observed for long enough, we've catalogued them, we've, we've put a name to them, we're aware of them, and just that in itself gives us power over them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so same with myself, you know, am I a great hero? You know, I tell people I'm, you know, I'm not brave. I'm not a great hero. I'm not a big tough guy, but I'm just a little bit tougher and a little bit braver. And because I'm 1% brave than average, that puts me in the top 10% percentile rate. <laughs> right. Because the vast majority of people are just absolute cowards. You know, when I started out with markets, I, you know, I came from a background of being an intellectual. I've, all I did was read books and paint. And, uh, and then I, you know, I was doing the Gurdjieff work and uh, I realized that well, I'll be honest with you, I was always an avid outdoorsman. So there was that rugged side to me. I've always been, you know, home in the woods. But I thought, well, it's still not enough. I need to develop something else. So, you know, that's when I entered martial arts. And I made myself a promise that I won't be a panty waist. You know, I'm not a big baby about it. I will fight. I will spar. I will do all the exercises. I will get hurt. I will suffer the pain. And I'm not going to cry about it. And uh, so I entered very hesitantly. You know, I was worried about it. But then I started training and started fighting. And the more I, more I sparred and, and, and went to contests and tournaments, uh, the better I got. The more I sparred, the better I got. And then it turned out that um, just a little bit of bravery puts you so far ahead of the crowd, you know, because most people, they're really scared. They're scared of everything, you know. They're scared of the woods. They're scared of the dark. They're scared of a guy sitting on a park bench uh, late at night because I, I sit often by the lake here, and everybody that walks by, even groups of 10 young men, they'll see me, and they'll all just get nervous and make a big circle around me. I mean, there's 10 of you guys, okay? I'm one old man sitting on a park bench. I'm not a threat. But, oh, no. They're scared. So mm. um, despite all our flaws, despite, you know, um, and especially when you're doing the Gurdjieff work, you know, you're, you're aware of your flaws. You're aware of your 
uh, uh, shortcomings. But despite all that, uh, having just a little bit of courage, a little bit of self-confidence makes a huge difference and puts you up into that warrior category. Well, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. You know, in, in the land of cowards um, and, um, and and wimps and cucks and simps and, you know, uh, having just a little bit of courage, having a little bit of uh, uh, ability to rely on yourself and confidence, wow, it puts you way up in the in, in percent percentile. Uh, is that okay? Have you anything else you want to say, TC? No, no, thank you for your time, guys. All right, thanks for calling in. Yeah, great comments. Cheers. Bye See now. you, bye. Um, yes, so we already talked about, um, quite a lot about uh, this topic of the warrior, um, and we more or less covered the idea of why becoming a war- warrior would be the first step to changing society. I mean, it seems to be pretty... Uh, obvious how that would happen um, although maybe it's not I mean unless everybody was a warrior I think how many people need to be warriors before society changes Stefan about 10% that's all you need because remember the rest of the people will follow along you know Hmm. Um, I can tell you that I could walk into a a room of 50 people and take it over uh, because I know the other you know all you need to is a somewhat strong personality you know I can stand up in a room and say okay listen everybody listen to me now and then go into a, some sort of spiel and rally people and get them to do things I mean it's not it's not that difficult it's it, you know that's why uh, you know these psychopaths must have a field day because it's so easy to control and manipulate people that uh, no wonder there's so many psychopaths it's 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 a banquet for them you know most people just don't have any kind of critical analysis and or the ability to think for themselves but you know if you can stand up and present a warrior image that will reflect on people around you now Gurdjieff had this thought, was it Gurdjieff or was it somewhere, somebody else, that you had to be within the presence of a master in order to uh, absorb some of the information or, or the wisdom that they were able to give. Mm-hmm. And even though I, I approach everything in the book from a very scientific background, uh, you know, I, I, I find, uh, you know, a mainstream scientific medical r- research to support the uh, exercises and principles I describe in the book. But there is something else and um connect with that so you know martial arts for karate class you know rare that they're gonna learn anything of value or that they're gonna find a decent school. Uh, yeah, I love martial arts. But uh trouble is ninety percent is like ninety percent of everything else. It's just nonsense where you, you have a bunch of you know, uh, over, over self, uh, well, my, full of themselves, uh, uh, lunatics teaching stuff they have no idea of. Fortunately, um, but the truth is that there is something in there that is really powerful. And one of these things is the concept of chi. And chi is described, uh, it's chi in Chinese, and the Japanese, they call it ki. And it's described as a sort of internal energy, uh, a force, power, you know. And I was always skeptical of it, you know, because I, you know, I need a scientific explanation before I believe something, almost. But 
through my experience of, you know, 40 years of training and through the teachers that I've had, there is something to this chi. And part of the chi, part of the way of the warrior is to develop this chi. And when you have this chi, people that come within the range of your magnetic resonance, whatever this chi is, it might be a, like a magnetic field. Think of it as a, uh, uh, you know, like you're a magnet and, and you, you have this field. And the people come to you, the more they're in touch with that energy. When you have that energy, people will tend to follow you. And uh, that you will also be able to, uh, you know, transfer information better to them. The chi can also do things like heal, and it can also do things like repel. You can use, <coughs> excuse me, if, for example, somebody is, uh, and I've tried this many times in sparring, there is a, a technique that I call the impenetrable defense. And um, what I'll do is uh, assume a natural stance, nothing too fancy, but then I will concentrate on my focus and my awareness and expanding my chi. It stops people from doing things. They can't get inside. It's almost like a, a magnetic force field around you. They can't get into you. So there is something to this chi business, uh, the spiritual energy. It can heal. It can heal you. It can heal other people. It can, you know, transfer wisdom and, and positive energy to people just by being in your presence. It can also allow you to control and, and uh, dissuade attacks um, simply because they, they can't get in on you. It's really difficult to describe, and it's kind of funny. You can ask my students. They'll all tell you the stories, oh, lots of stories about what, you know, how I was able to use this, and, and they'll just look at you and go, there's no way I can attack him. There's nothing I could do, um, and it's just a cheat, you know, uh, so I don't even have to you know, put up my dukes. And now there's a lot of that try to pretend to do this, and they, they stage demonstration, all that. That's bullshit. The real chi actually does kind of work like that. So, um, yeah, if you can develop that, and again, it's part of the spirit path, and if you, you know, adopt some of the techniques and principles of, of the way of the warrior, you can also develop this chi, and that chi will allow you to much m more easily deprogram the rest of the people. If that makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that, uh, I think there is something to it. I mean, it's obviously it's veiled in that idea of chi and energy and all that kind of stuff is veiled in largely in, you know, a, uh, Eastern, uh, martial arts, uh, techniques, etc. But I think, um, it's probably, uh, there's a, there's a truth to it that is broader and greater and, and, and less specific than that. But, um, exactly what it is and how anybody would, uh, go about developing it developing it outside of some kind of intensive martial arts train, training, I don't know. Um, For that but, reason alone, um, people should buy your book is to get these exercises so they can develop this because this is a very important thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to bet yeah, absolutely. Vladimir Putin has a lot of chi. <laughs> <laughs> he read your book. No, of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. You know, I mean, you can see, you know, it's – but. It, it embodies a lot of things too. So chi is usually developed through breathing exercises, visualization, right? And um, when I use it to heal things like friends and, and, and uh, cat and, you know, um, you use the visualization and the breathing and, uh, well, you know, I can't find a, a scientific explanation for it. But what I can say is that from all my experience, 
something there that's working. And um, so whether you believe it or not, uh, whether my rational uh, left brain uh, can figure out some, you know, logical explanation for or not, doesn't matter because it exists whether or not you believe it or not. So, yeah, there's exercises in the book and, um, you know, breathing visualization. Putin has that because, again, that's the thing, what I mean when I say that you can walk into a room and your presence fills the room and people automatically defer to you. They they sense that you are a leader. And I have a chapter on leadership in the book, too, because it's important for a warrior to become a leader, to know how to present himself and give instructions and orders and, you know, embody the leadership uh, role because you need to be a leader. Uh, you know, you can't just let the mob rule because the mob doesn't know anything. The mob has been conditioned and programmed to be a bunch of psychopathic, self-centered jerks. So as a warrior, you can't let the mob rule a situation. So you need your chi and you need your leadership qualities and you need to have a few techniques and, and, and principles of warriorhood. And then when you enter a room, it, when there's a mob, once you enter the room, there's a team. You know, that's the difference. Um, and that comes through your body language. It comes through your, your presence. So, yeah, when I see Putin on TV and all that, I'm going, man, this guy's got that mastered, you know. Uh, the way he walks, the way he moves, his posture, the way he looks, it all projects the warrior image of a leader, somebody that's confident in himself, somebody who's not afraid, you know, um, that's projected. So that's part of it, you know. What else is in your book? Have we covered all the, well, the book? All is, the... the internal stuff? Um, yeah. Well, the book is divided into two basic uh, uh, um, components, the internal and the external. And in martial is also divided into uh, two components, internal and the external. And some styles are designated as internal styles, and some styles are designated as external. Because typically, the internal styles are uh, Xingyi, Bagua, Qigong. Um, those are all styles that develop the internal energy and uh, the, the parts of the body that are involve awareness and focus and concentration, meditation, and uh, um, sensory enhancement. So half the book is all about the internal, the, the mind, the awareness, how awareness works, how focus works, how to improve vision, how to improve hearing, uh, proprioception, balance, posture, breathing exercises, relaxation exercises, um, you know, these are all things that you need to do internally, like even the relaxation exercises. I mean, most of our diseases are caused chronic tension, you know, and um, so a warrior needs to be over overcome his constant tenseness in order to be healthier. But a tense person also can't fight and can't think. Uh, we, if you're sparring with somebody that's really tense, they can't do anything. You know, you have to be relaxed. You have to be fluid and that way you can, you know, move and, and think clearly. So all those uh, exercises are part of the internal side of the art. Then the external is those things you can see. So here we talk about stance, uh, strength, um, the actual combat techniques, strategies, tactics, fighting techniques, grappling techniques, punch, kick, block, 
um, you know, uh, different, uh, different weapons, how to use them, how to defend against them, um, you know, because it's all part of the way of the war here. I mean, it's not purely a, an intellectual exercise. I mean, you got to know uh, how to pick up a stick, and, and, and I recommend people pick up a gun and learn how to use it. You know, it's part of the way of the warrior as well, but it's the external part. It's the, the stuff that you can see and uh, how to move and uh, the forms and the routines and the, and, and the grace and the balance. That's all part of the external. So those are the two main components of the book. So all that's in there, telling people how to do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's my usual writing style, which is, you know, I cut all the fat. You know, I, there's no no first person uh, uh, writing there, all third person. It's all training manual. It's all glorified, uh, you know, a Boy Scout manual, but how to be a, a warrior Boy Scout manual, you know. Um, and like I said, I've, di- you know, digested thousands of books on Eastern philosophy, and I will digest it all down to, in one or two pages, uh-huh. um, because the rest of the stuff you can you can toss out. I, I mean, I don't need all that superfluous information that doesn't uh, um, really add that much to it. So it makes it easier to read, and but it also it's I mean it's just jam packed with stuff. You know, every page is, you know four or five things you can use. Right and how much is it going um, for? Well, the title of the book is well, a, it's go- a Master's Guide to the Way of the Warrior, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not. Is it out in print yet? No, it's not out in print. I'm I'm running a Kickstarter campaign. Right. Uh, I, there's another ten days, and you can order advanced copies through Kickstarter. So basically, you're ordering a copy, uh, but uh, if you order it through Kickstarter, that means I get the money. You know, like three months earlier than I would uh-huh. after uh, launching it, <coughs> and I need that time to finish off the book. Mm-hmm. Honestly, <laughs> it's, it's been, it, what, on Kickstarter, it's um, is there a, what's the what, way of the warrior? It's just Kickstarter way of the warrior. Okay, so people can can check it out there and yeah, but they can also get a PDF. I think yeah, right. So, yeah, so I'll, uh, they can order the PDF for ten dollars through Kickstarter and the uh, the trade paperback for uh, twenty five dollars through Kickstarter, and um, but once um, I, I'm going to print, I think I'm going to be charging sixty bucks for it. And I'll tell you why. You know, I know it's more money than most people charge and all that. But uh, I'll be honest with you. You know, I put in you know forty years in learning this stuff. I've done all the work for everyone else. By you know, when you <clears throat> go through a spiritual path, there's lots of you know blind alleys, lots of U-turns, lots of wrong directions you can go down, and it's it's rough with pitfalls. You know, every spiritual path has so many you know, false leads and, and false information. And, uh, you know, you can spend years practicing something only to find out later that it's harmful for you. Like, uh, you know, Gurdjieff wrote about people that lose their food a hundred times before swallowing. And, you know, he says that, well, you're not doing any good because you're actually, you know, decreasing the ability of your stomach to digest food, you know? Mm-hmm. So you can spend a lot of time, um, doing ridiculous things. Um, you know, I get in trouble all the time when I talk about Buddhism and they're, they're, you know, the founder of Zen Buddhism. He's famous for sitting in the cave for 20 years and staring at a wall 
And legend has it that there are two holes in the wall where he stared at. <laughs> and this is always cited as some, you know, great example of his spiritual ability. I Personally, I think that's a complete waste of life. I don't think the creator put us on this planet to sit in a goddamn cave, right? You know, right. I mean, he produced nothing in his entire lifetime. He didn't write anything. He didn't grow anything. He didn't build anything. He didn't have kids. He didn't have a family. He didn't teach anybody. What was the point of incarnating then if you're just going to sit in a cave? To me, that's the wrong idea, and I get in trouble all the time with people from the Eastern <laughs> philosophy. But really, I don't think you should sit in a cave or stare at a wall. The way of the warrior is to you know, get out in the world and be active and, like the last caller said, to do, you know, to do things in this world, to make a difference. You know, there would be plenty of time for staring at the wall when you're dead, right? While you're alive, you need to, you know – and I'm going back to the Greek hedonists as well um, in classical sense. And that is you need to experience life and live it and be a part of it and, and play a strong role in your, you know, be the leading character in your own life. And to me, that's what the way of the warrior is, you know, being a leading character in your own life. I think that's terrific. That's, that's just a, a great motto, a great philosophy and, 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 something we probably ought to wrap this up on yeah because i don't think you can say anymore after you said that no okay i was looking at the clock and i'm thinking better wrap it up yeah <laughs> well listen uh yeah well it's been it's very it's been a very uh useful useful interesting topic to, to discuss particularly at this time because it's you know it's very uh everybody buy stefan's book yeah People can check. <laughs> Thank you. People can check out Stefan's book. His website is ChinaStrategies dot com, uh, and he mentioned the Kickstarter page. And his his video channel is on YouTube. Um, Stefan Verstappen on on YouTube. So check it out and check Stefan's book out. And you all become warriors right now. Exactly. Okay. I guys really appreciate it. <laughs> all right, <laughs> Stefan. Th thanks a million for uh, for coming on and chatting to us. It's been Great to talk to you, as always. Thanks, yeah, Stefan. No, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always good to talk to you guys. I love yeah. talking to you guys. I know. Great minds. Somebody, somebody that understands me. Right. <laughs> well, we all we need all to need be that. understood. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we'll talk to yeah. you again soon. Okay? Okay, Laura. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Stefan. See ya. Take care. Okay. Okay. So that was Stefan Verstappen um, on the way of the warrior. I hope you all know how to be warriors now. Yeah, polish up your swords, your, your metaphorical ones, and um, go out there and take over the world. And put it to rights, okay? And just let us know how that goes. Be the main star in your own life. Yes. Uh, or failing that, just do your best. Exactly. Uh, do what you can and keep doing what you can. Um, Harrison has hardly said a word, and yet he this is a host on this show. Uh, we, want, we want some pearls of wisdom before uh, we sign off, because it wouldn't be right otherwise. Well, I was just thinking throughout the throughout the show about the nature of warfare, because when I think about war, uh, you know, I've been reading some books lately on. Uh, ancient Rome, and just the nature of warfare then. And in certain examples, you basically had a bunch of soldiers get together and kill a whole bunch of people, storm a town, 
rape and murder the women, children, and just leave the, you know, leave the town or the village just uh, a waste. And then you look today in the nature of warfare today, what we think about as warfare, and you have pretty much the same thing, only they use bombs and they will just decimate entire cities. Um, And this has been the whole history of like 20th century, 21st century warfare. You look at World War II and the Nazis did a whole bunch of terrible stuff. And then the Allies did a whole bunch of terrible stuff, just bombing entire cities and and just killing millions of people. And same thing today, you've got the same thing happening. So I think about this nature of warfare and how it has expanded. So now we have not only this conventional warfare of using weapons, guns, knives, just any kind of weapon possible, and just they are various ways of tearing other people's bodies to pieces. Now you also have economic warfare and information warfare. So I was thinking throughout the show, well, what's the... Know, what kind of warfare are we talking about? And it was kind of like a subtext throughout the whole sh- show. It's a different kind of warfare. This is what we might call spiritual warfare. And it's something that's going on not only within the individual warrior, but also there's, there's a, an enemy out there mm. in the world <clears throat> that we're fighting against. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with, with uh, and St- you know, Stefan talked about the psychopaths a lot. There's, a, there's people in the world and their ideas and just trends and forces in the world that need to be confronted and fought in certain ways. Mm. And so I think that, uh, you know, not having read Stefan's book, it sounds great, but uh, I think using these techniques, not only can we learn to be, to, to carry out this kind of internal warfare against the aspects of ourselves that need to be overcome so that we can be better, um, better heroes in our own lives and better um, kind of um, that, to better project that warrior image to help other people. And by doing so, then we are fighting this wider warfare um, in the world. And we're actually you know, defeating something in this world. So I was, uh, I, I was just thinking about that throughout the show, warfare. And, and uh, you know, how does it relate to, to real war? You know, what we think about is real war. And we brought up Putin. And Putin projects this warrior image. He embodies this warrior image, but he's also a real warrior. And his country, you know, Russia, is at war in Syria, for example. And there have been several wars in the past. So I, I don't know if we want to discuss that or if just leave it as a as a something to think about. Is um, just the, the the total nature of warfare and how it all fits together, and what place actual physical warfare plays in that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Well, we can keep talking if you need to go and uh, attend to some pressing business. I'm going to say goodnight. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying goodnight, Gracie. Lars departing the studio. <laughs> goodnight. Pressing business. We can talk a little bit about that uh, since we have a little bit of time left. Um, and yes, thank you f- for being on, Laura. Um, for keeping us all straight. The Orlando shooting, was that, a, was that an act of warfare? Political, political hot potato. Mm-hmm. Harrison, catch. <laughs> well, I guess, which kind of warfare are we talking about? I mean, on the, I don't know, on the very basic level, on the very basic level, I think you, know, you could call it, it was a, it's, it's fighting, it's violence, it's an aspect of, it's, of, of war. There was p- people, die, people killed in a, 
um, you know, there's a, a reprehensible way, you know, where they don't even have any means of defense. I mean, right. you, if you think about the, the ideal warrior, there's this, you know, throughout history, there's this, there's been this idea of, you know, well, what's the, the ideal warrior or the virtuous warrior and this, this notion of honor and, you know, would a real warrior kill someone who doesn't, who isn't like, staring them in the face and, and able to defend themselves and no, but the, you know, that's the, an ideal that very rarely plays out in, in practice. Really war is dirty and innocent people get, get killed deliberately Right. And often because the so-called warrior enjoys it. So on that level, yeah, it was war. And there's probably other other kinds of warfare going on. But I don't really know. What what did you have in mind, Neil? Well, I don't know what Neil, had, I don't know what Neil had in mind. Speak my mind, Joe. But uh, I'm going to speak Neil's mind. Um, <laughs> the thing is, this is advanced. We're in a stage of advanced warfare. Okay, conventional warfare still happens. America goes around bombing countries and killing lots of people and then occupies it. That's pretty much as old as time, right? In one form or another, be it with missiles and smart bombs or uh, trebuchets and, uh, you know, crossbows and, and swords. Uh, you can achieve the same thing. And, and that has happened throughout history. But in the case of Orlando, you had an attack on people that did not was not occurring in the context of a war, a war scenario, and it did not happen uh, in the context of there being a, a clearly defined enemy who wanted to attack those people and kill them and take their stuff or something. These people were this was just random, mindless, senseless killing of fifty people mm -hmm. in a country that is not or most of the people believe, is not at war with anybody. And there is no one really at war with them, um, certainly not in any traditional sense. Uh, the other strange aspect to, to Orlando, and maybe because of that, is the effect that it has uh, and the ability for it to have an effect far beyond Orlando, far beyond the people who, who, who died and, the, and their families because of the information information age and the ability uh, for information to be spread uh, around the world and certainly across the USA, for example, as a target country, let's say, uh, for that information and awareness and almost a vicarious uh, participation in the event to be had by millions, potentially all Americans, whoever was watching. Uh, that's very unusual, uh, at least in history, if you look back at the history of warfare um, most of it was taken up with relatively small armies uh, attacking other relatively small armies or, or villages or whatever. And people a hundred miles away, let alone a thousand miles away, would not have known about it and would not have been affected by it. But here you have, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the people who were, who in history who were attacked, they kind of understood why they were attacked. This is just a bunch of evil ex you know, whatever you want to call them, people from that country over there, they regularly come over and raid our villages and, and kill and, and maim and take away slaves. Um, and they do that, and we kind of do that as well. That's life, you know. It's, it's shit, but that's life, and you just, you know, whatever. Uh, but they understand why it happens. Orlando, why? 
still we don't even know. It was some vague attempt to make it link it to kind of ISIS or something. Oh, we claimed responsibility, but then there's also this all this talk about well, the guy was actually maybe gay, but conflicted about his gayness. So this was a hate crime in the sense of an anti-gay attack. Uh, ISIS anti-gay attack, I, I don't know, who knows? It's just none of it satisfies. So you've got 50 people killed, 49 people killed, indiscriminately for no reason, for no good reason, with no agenda, no obvious reason, no explanation, not, nothing people can, can latch onto and say, ah, oh, that's why. And, uh, and the, whole, the whole of America knows about it and participates in the trauma to one extent or another. That's very different from traditional warfare. It's psychological warfare, if you know what I mean beyond the 50 people, the 49 people who are killed, uh, you have effectively what is effectively a kind of an attack in the sense of creating uh, similar conditions or having a similar effect to uh, as it, on millions of other people as if they were kind of attacked or as if they were close to the attack. Someone in California, you know, 3,000 miles away, a gay person in California maybe felt visceral fear from the shooting in Orlando 3,000 miles away because it was a gay community and because it was just a random attack. What if that happens here? That's an effect that's... If, if someone wants to influence people psychologically in a country, that's the way they seem to be... That's the way to do it, apparently, in this age of information where you can have that effect. So for me, that's the... That seems to be the agenda to this, which is to have uh, uh, a suppressive or an oppressive psychological effect on as many people in the US as possible and engender as much fear in ordinary people in America as possible by periodically going around and randomly killing people. And that's where the becoming a, a spiritual warrior comes into play, I think, because there this is this there's that aspect of like you said, psychological warfare. This is a war on your mind where even if you're because the vast majority of people, almost well, minus fifty, a hundred people are totally disconnected from that event, mm. well, aside from the families. Um, so, but it affects everyone that reads the news. So there's this, in a sense, that even though um, you weren't physically there, it is affecting you. This warfare, mm -hmm. this type of warfare is affecting right. you. And by becoming, by becoming a warrior yourself, it applies on all levels. I think this idea of the warrior is mm. so multifaceted because like um, doing the techniques that, that Stefan mentioned – it can apply to any situation. So if you're there in that nightclub, who knows, maybe having that sort of training will give you enough situ situational awareness that you might be able to survive. You might be able to help other people. And someone in the chat room just said there was a, an ex-military bouncer at a club that actually used his training to help save a bunch of people. So in the very immediate situation, these kinds of things can help you, your own physical body. Hmm. On the other hand, being removed from it and just experiencing the news waves coming at you and attacking you that way, mm. you create a kind of uh, mental barrier mm -hmm. to to defend yourself from that psychological attack mm -hmm. where there is this fear-based, um, you know, affront against your person and your mm -hmm. psyche mm -hmm. where you can put up that and you can, you can um, see what's really going on and understand there's, you know, there is a real aspect of fear that's in, involved and I think that's a it's a, a normal thing because, mm -hmm. I mean, really, if you see that this can happen anywhere and it does happen, then it can happen anywhere and it does happen anywhere. So really, you know, it, it could happen anywhere. So mm -hmm. you've got to be prepared for it. But you can't let yourself be paralyzed by fear. You just have to um, realize that it's a possibility and prepare for it. And, you know, that's just that's just life, right? It's unpredictable and, and bad things happen. And um, just 
by becoming a warrior, you, 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 you're not paralyzed by the fear mm. and you're not easily manipulated because of that fear, because that's what it's all about. It's all about being a, putting you in a state of fear in order to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. If you realize that you're, you're afraid, okay, there's nothing wrong with being afraid, but what are you going to do about it? And what mm. are you, how are you going to respond to that fear? And are you going to respond in, to, to that fear in a way that does what they mm-hmm. want you to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it, it reminds me of something, um, TC, when he called in said, he mentioned this myth or, you know, saying or idea that if you could get the name of a God, you would have power over that God i.e. the point being that if you can define something or know something, understand something, then it doesn't have as much control or power over you, you know? So, I mean, this is, that's kind of very true. It's self-evident in a certain sense for anybody who's under, who's ever had any kind of a problem. I mean, even the the fear or anxiety or, or discomfort you feel if you've got some kind of an illness or something and you don't know what it is, and then when you find out what it is, that goes a long way to kind of uh, giving you some sense of uh, calm or reducing your your fear about, you know, that kind of situation. And I think that applies, this is, I suppose, it gets to the the heart of the idea of knowledge protecting as well, uh, which we, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a kind of catchphrase of ours, um, that the more you know about a situation, the less fear you have, the less power and control that thing has over you, you know, in your life. and I think it's true. Uh, I think this is why maybe maybe that's one of the motivations why some people anyway have a motiva- feel the motivation to to research stuff and find out what's really going on. You know, what's the nature of reality? What's going on? Because reality is a big kind of place that can be quite scary. There's all sorts of big things happening and stuff that are beyond your control. But and people are maybe fundamentally driven to to find out what the meaning of uh, of reality is or anything that happens in this world, anything on a particularly large scale or something that's happened in the past, researching history like Laura does, that kind of thing. But to delve into it and to try and understand what is going on here is maybe motivated by, kind of fundamentally by a fear or a sense of uh, anxiety or discomfort or whatever that comes from not knowing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So... In terms of this Orlando shooting, we were just talking about this. We were talking about this with uh, with Neil the other night, um, trying to find the motive, the agenda of the people who carried out this Orlando attack. Why did they do it? Well, we just talked about them trying to, um, you know, instill fear in the in the population in the U.S. You know, and spread a sense of insecurity among everybody, and and they carry out these kind of attacks in different places around the world. So they want a global uh, insecurity. They want, to, they want to impose global insecurity into the minds of as many people on the planet as possible. And they do it with in a very crass and crude way, which is the equivalent of just taking a stick and going, beating, uh, going and beating people on the head. That's what these shootings are like. It's just a blunt instrument trauma to the body uh, public, you know, the, to, to the the collective mind or whatever, or the social mind or whatever. It's just like beating it with a stick and traumatizing it and, and that, in that way hoping to keep it down. Why do people do that? Why do people, because they want to control it. They, people beat other people because they want to control them. These people beat society in this way with these kind of terror attacks 
because they want to control society just for its own sake. They, they enjoy having control and power and dominion over people. That's how they get their kicks, you know. Um, that's all it is. That's why they do this. I mean, it's not a very satisfactory answer, but it seems to be the only uh, reasonable answer as to why they keep doing this kind of thing is that they just want to control and terrify as much of the population as possible as an end in itself. Keep them down, keep them afraid, uh, stop them even having any sense of security or, or comfort or uh, contentment in life. You want to keep them always on edge, you know, like Pavlov's dogs. Keep shocking them. And again, don't, don't let them get complacent and happy and start thinking about, oh, you know, nice things or something. You want, to, you want them to think about bad things all the time. Flood the headlines with horrible news line, new, headlines, you know, everywhere, you know. Create as much uh, material to produce those headlines as possible. Have as many wars, have as many mass shootings, you know. Do, how can we generate that as much as possible so that the entire world is sitting there in shock and awe or shock and terror at what's going on in the world and feel fundamentally insecure in their own beings that they are they really can't function anymore as normal human beings. They're just too scared, too insecure, they're worried, they're looking over their shoulder everywhere when they go to the mall, when they go to the train station, when they go to the cinema, when they go anywhere almost, they, they in the back of their mind with this will they they'll have the idea of what if I get killed today? That seems to be where they want to go. And why would someone want to do that to eight billion people? Just, just for kicks, because well, they want to do it because that's what gets them off, basically. Well, why does anybody do anything? Yeah, gets you off. Would, you get something out of it, you know. That's what motivates them, and whether they're aware of it or not, we might be able to assume that they are, or let's not. Let's just say it's instinctive. Yeah, the instinctive reaction, uh, um, as shown by psychological studies, is that this kind of thing has a profound chilling effect, and specifically. What it chills in the social body politic is any questioning of authority. Right. Yeah, they don't want people to, to, to question anything that the government does. They, they want to keep people down, keep them afraid, keep them unquestioning and just listen. Instill that idea of better just keep my head down and you know, even look away from it. They want people to look away from everything that happens. They put all of this horrible... They, do all of this horrible stuff, splash it across all of the news articles and TV news and everything so that people look away because it's too too horrible. It creates a really dark, nasty picture of the world that, in which they live. So people say, I'm not going to look at it. Uh, they all, I mean, they'll also look to authority to protect them on the one hand, but at the same time, they just go, I'm not going to watch, I'm not going to look, look at the news, I'm not going to read the headlines because every time I do, I get depressed. It's horrible and I get afraid. So I'm going to look away, I'm going to, I'm going to watch... Uh, depending on what, what floats your boat, you'll watch some Ultimate Fighting Championship, you'll watch uh, Big Brother, or you'll uh, stick your face into a video game for a, a whole week straight, or you'll do all sorts of other things that are not good for your health, not good for your psychological or emotional or physical health. You'll maybe you know get drunk more often, all that kind of stuff that is destructive and negative for human beings in terms of them living a, a life as, as full a life as they can. And, and that's, a, that's the result, you know. And, and like you just said, Neil, they'll also not question authority. So as more stuff comes out about what authorities are actually doing, uh, people are less and less inclined to actually, A, look at it, and if they do look at it, B, question it, because they don't want to question authority, because authority is there to protect them from the terrorism that the authorities themselves are perpetrating on them. Additionally, 
those that do look, um, apparently in, in vast numbers, far outweighing those who accept, oh God, something terrible happened, what really happened, people are fleeing. It's an interesting psychological phenomenon as well in the last few years. They're saying, okay, I'm looking at this upside down. I really want to know what happened. Ah, I've stumbled upon the answer. It didn't actually happen mm. at all. Mm. And I say that's an interesting phenomenon because it's... Can't really talk to people about that because the people who promote that or, or get into that idea of actors and, you know, fakery and all that kind of stuff, those people are having a real real problem accepting at a, maybe a, a level that's unconscious to them, a, a deeper psychological level. They're having a problem with accepting the fact that the government could kill randomly 50 people in their society. It's a pretty shocking mm -hmm. thing to have to accept or to look at. And people prefer, if there's an option, to say, oh, it didn't actually happen, but maintain their kind of conspiratorial bent, but not go as far as to actually face the fact that the government kills and shoots ordinary civilians for no reason. They'll go with that. And, and you have these people picking up on this idea of actors. And it's kind of just stupid because... Uh, there's no reason for them to have actors or I mean people I don't I, I don't even see any point in talking about it because you're talking about two different realities there because the people who actually talk about those ideas and, and promote those ideas and subscribe to those ideas obviously can't think straight or aren't able to think in a, any logical rational way anymore so the idea of arguing with someone who isn't able to think rationally is just it is a pointless endeavor. You shouldn't you shouldn't even try to do it. You know, there's some people maybe who get sucked into it, and maybe they need to be kind of said, "Listen, catch a grip here." You know, take a look at this and think rationally about this. You know, even and it should be obvious to people who still have some of their faculties to see that it's a, it doesn't make sense. It's a, it, there's no reason to have actors or crisis actors or fakery, fake shootings, basically. Um, because, yeah, I mean, to me it's obvious, but obviously it's not obvious to other people who apparently still can't think a little bit logically because some of them uh, that I know seem to be promoting it and thinking maybe it's maybe this is true, but uh, it's like I've said in various different places about this idea of actors at, at terror attacks is that no one has ever given me an explanation or a good answer to the question of why would any authorities choose? Authorities, by the way, who have a proven track record of enjoying killing people for fun, why a person like that or a group of people like that who have that uh, proclivity to killing people because it's fun would decide, with two options in front of them, decide uh, with the option to actually go and kill some people to achieve some geopolitical or psychological end, end end result that they would choose to not kill those people for real to achieve their goal of terrorizing people but they would instead employ or, or you know hire in some Hollywood directors to organize an event like in Orlando for example that would undoubtedly have required months of planning hundreds of actors all of them with a script or parts or roles to play that they all had to play very convincingly lest 
the whole ruse be exposed and the time and effort and management to put together what is effectively what would be a small Hollywood production, that they would go and do that for what reason? Why would they do that? Why would they pick that option compared to get a couple of those guys who love killing gay people, who hate gays, who hate homosexuals or completely uh, homophobic and like killing people because they've been shown that they've They've, they've proven themselves on battlefields in Iraq or whatever where we've pulled them from that they love killing ordinary people get a couple of those guys go down there into that nightclub and shoot 50 people and they'll say no nah, let's not do that let's have the Hollywood production and then we'll try and make sure that it comes off correctly and there's no holes in it and that way we will convince everybody that we kill people when we really, really didn't although our goal is to produce the same effect as if we had killed 50 people so why would we not kill the 50 people? Some guy at the back of the room asks. Because uh, we're humanitarian. We don't like killing people. No, you just said you like killing people. So what, why would you not do the killing part? Why would you do the, 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 the production part? Why would you go to that bother? Uh, so th- the point is that conversation doesn't take place. Because mm-hmm. it's so obviously stupid to suggest actors or fakery or blah, blah, blah. No one would do it. You're not talking about people who are interested in putting on a Hollywood production of a mass shooting when they actually like carrying out mass shootings themselves, personally. So if anybody... $25,000 for anybody who can give me an answer that makes sense... Sorry, did I say twenty $25,000? $25. <laughs> 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 Well, there's an even more insidious aspect to this, I think, and that is when you when you watch these YouTube videos of all these you know, actors, theorists, they, I think the net effect of all this is that the, the so-called truth movement or the people that see all these false flags everywhere, is that they have no empathy anymore. When there's, attack, when there's an attack and there's a person crying right. who's just lost a loved one, it's like, oh, well, there's an actor. It's I like, know. I don't have to feel anything don't feel anything so these people are just really reprehensible human beings that can't even empathize and stop themselves actively from empathizing with with victims of tragedies in their in their lives that affect the world and i I, so this is a relatively recent phenomena i think when did it start like when i don't i don't sandy remember seeing sandy 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 hook i don't remember seeing anything prior to sandy hook of anyone you know claiming that like these crisis actor theories that these events never happened. Like I know there that today there are people that, that are now saying that no one died on nine 11, but at <laughs> during nine during and after nine 11, there was no one like that. You know, the seven, seven bombings, no. Madrid, all those, nothing, all, all the school shootings, you know, Columbine, nothing. No, everyone accepted that these were real events. This is something new, which makes me think that, that this, it started out as just this kind of COINTELPRO operation or just some crazy guy, you know, that mm. first came up with that, this idea and now it's just, they're running with it. Mm-hmm. But it's something new. And and I think that that's part of the, part of either the the purpose of it or at least the beneficial um, result, result of yeah. it right. is, that, is that all of these people now, it's just all over the internet and are, are, just don't have any empathy anymore. Right, and really, if you think about it, the the probably the the main reason, the main drive that people get into this so-called truth movement or alternative news or you know just seeing behind the lies is out of empathy. It's because people are dying because of this. Mm-hmm. People are getting tortured, and that whole 
that whole inspiration for this whole idea of truth and exposing these things is totally subverted and it's 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 gone now mm-hmm. because people don't care it's like it's like how can you care about someone who died if you don't even think they died no these right. things aren't, aren't even happening it's all a show so why do we, why should we care i mean let's just expose the, the media fakery yeah right it's, instead they're hurling abuse what are you doing? instead they're hurling abuse at the victims yeah their families. right yeah and the other thing is we can't talk about we can have a serious uh, discussion or attempt to promote um, the idea, for example, that in the Orlando shooting and many others, those lone wolf uh, or lone wolves, whatever shooters at those all of those shootings, did not clearly act alone. That they could not have killed all of those people on their own. Clearly, there were more people. Look at all the eyewitness testimonies. We can't really publicly talk about that any, anymore without someone saying, oh, you're one of those actors, people. So I want to punch every actor advocate in the face for making it very difficult for us to actually tell the truth, to try and get to the actual truth and tell people, look, it's not some weird super reverse, double reverse psychology thing where they're really trying to mess with your mind by doing actor stuff. No, it's really happening. The, the conspiracy stops at the point where your government for, dec- for, for centuries has been killing ordinary people around the world to serve an agenda. Just, well, can you not live with that? Can you not just leave it there? Because that's clearly what happens and has happened for centuries. Big government, powerful actors, psychopaths in power go around killing people for fun and also to serve a particular agenda. Wait a minute. It happens. Did you say actors? Oh, Jesus. Did I say state actors? <laughs> Hang on a second. There's someone. Um, I've got somebody on the line here. Let me guess. Is this Stephen? Oh, good AJ. This is Ryan from Australia. Hi, Ryan. Hi, not Stephen. Hi, Hi Ryan. Um, mate, I just wanted to bring up one small point uh, about the media fakery thing. Um, I was uh, on Twitter uh, tweeting a few things about the Orlando shootings. And uh, this guy had tweeted about um, a Guardian article uh, t- that talked about um, sort of, you know, the initial sort of witness. They'd sort of tried to summarise all the initial witness testimony and come up with the, sort of the, the that early narrative sort of thing. And um, I had a read through it and I sort of thought, oh, yeah, that looks all right. You know, they've... It, it, they've quoted the eyewitnesses and they sort of haven't sort of padded it out with too much sort of nonsense. So I retweeted that particular tweet to the Guardian article. And then uh, about half an hour later, uh, I was reading a different article uh, where they started to promote that whole idea of, um, oh, this this guy was like a repressed homosexual who, mm-hmm. um, and that's why he went and shot all these people kind of thing. And, uh, and, and, they quoted his uh, ex-wife saying, like, oh, yeah, he had, like, you know, he, he had homosexual tendencies or whatever. And in the, the Guardian article previously, they'd specifically quoted the ex-wife saying, no, he, um, he, I never saw anything like that while I, while I was with him sort of thing. Right. And uh, I was like, hang on a second, you know, that, that's just a direct contradiction. So I went back to the Guardian article to try and cut and paste that particular quote into a tweet and the entire article in the space of it was probably only about maybe two and a half to three hours at maximum. Um, in the space of that three hours, let's call it three hours tops, like two, two and a half to three hours, uh, the like the whole article was almost completely rewritten. Hmm. The um, it had all of this um, 
ex- all this extra stuff where they were quoting people about saying how they'd seen him at the club like heaps and he would, he'd been asking guys out and um like the then the, the quote from the ex-wife saying that uh he yeah he had um apparently displayed sort of like he mentioned homosexual urges or something and mm. like it was completely contradictory to the quote that they'd had previously to uh what uh what they'd had in this earlier version of the article unfortunately i didn't take a screenshot of it but mm. um the, the whole article was completely different and it was in the space of about three hours so, so there's the clearly a massive sort of media rewriting sort of effort going on regarding this, the, the whole motivation and, right. and sort of like thing around what this guy was doing. Yeah, right um, at the beginning, they're like putting out the idea that he is ISIS. You know, they're throwing the ISIS thing on day one. And then slowly it turns into, I mean, the, the fact that anyone would be able to say ISIS apart, you know, well, they can say ISIS because what they do is they say, yeah, uh, ISIS claimed responsibility on a website that Rita Katz is really uh, operative, uh, basically scans the web for, you know, ISIS postings. And she tells everybody, yeah, ISIS said they did Orlando. And they released that on day one. And, uh, the idea that anyone, that, that 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 is now proof, you know, slam dunk, there you go, we know it, on day one, yeah, it was ISIS. And then, uh, so obviously that's bogus, and then afterwards they come along and they start investigating other things and it gets a bit more complex. They they do what they, they do, you know, kind of, they come to a conclusion first, and then in the days and weeks afterwards start to develop a kind of narrative that kind of shifts and changes. It's just a farce of, of any kind of proper investigation. Uh, around these things and so I'm not surprised that, that there's fodder there for people to kind of go you know this is all kind of made up because it is to a certain extent made up because there's an agenda that is that, I mean it all points dynamic to the, narratives right it all points to a, a, an agenda before the fact of, before the shooting even that the shooting is part of a narrative or part of a plan that is playing out as they go along you know and of course, they have a lot of control over the media and what the media says and doesn't say about it. And whoever's behind it is kind of like releasing information, directing them this way, then this way. They have a lot of control, almost complete control via the media to tell the people anything they want about any particular event. Um, Assuming the wife was actually giving statements to the media, one plausible reason for the sudden change is that she being, you know, concerned about her safety or whatever and was saying one thing and then adapting it based on what direction the overall narrative was going because she did well assuming it was her let's say she did say one thing and then the other um now she has since gone silent why because they they put her under arrest right and and any other family the father is in no life yeah yeah so we'll never know what the real story is in terms of their relationship and so on. Look, I, I heard at once that he was very religious. He'd been to Mecca three times and other statements coming out saying, this guy religious, are you kidding? Right. So, his father said that he'd never shown any signs of like homosexual behavior and he was, and he'd shown like, you know, vaguely he'd, he'd made sort of like, homophobic comments right um like sort of general kind of homophobic I suspect, comments it's sort of I, su- I suspect that's his father trying to save his skin because i mean who wouldn't in that situation because all media well, focuses father, on him 
the, the um uh connection like the apparently his father has these like state department US state department connections the, the there was photos of him um right. uh, at the US state department on one article um so yeah possibly yeah, like that sort of ties into the whole sort of yeah possible mind program kind of aspect like as in you know, like Lee Harvey Oswald that right. sort of kind of thing like you know this guy possibly known to intelligence services or was you know like something you know really nefarious might have happened or at the very sort of like most benign he was being groomed in, in right. some way um, man it's like that's when you talk about lee harvey oswald does anybody does does anybody was jfk was that does jfk still alive was he an actor <laughs> someone some an actor an actor's theory is sure go back and because I'm pretty sure he wasn't an actor. Yeah, but well, I don't know. I mean, and and does anybody believe that uh, he he killed JFK all by his lonesome or at all? I mean, there's been t- tomes, weighty tomes by the hundred written about this, and all of them say, all of the the credible ones say, yeah, obviously it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. It was, I mean, it was the CIA. It was it was some part of the establishment. Alan Dulles, the CIA, that kind of like kind of behind the scenes shadow government, whatever you want to call it, the people who decided that they're running the country, not the president, who killed JFK because JFK wanted to destroy them because he saw that they were running the country and he wasn't. And he's like, I'm the president. Everybody says mm-hmm. I'm the commander in chief. I get to make policy, but you guys are making policy behind my back. Well, you know what? I'm gonna like in his own words, splinter you into a thousand pieces. And they said, no, you first. We're going to splinter you. We're going to kill you first. So they killed him. What a shocking idea. No, it's not shocking. It's very normal for a bunch of psychos to do that. So, okay. Mm. Lee Harvey Oswald, in that scenario, was set up as a patsy. He didn't kill JFK. He wasn't shooting any guns. But apparently, official history says he wasn't. He was the one who killed him. And guess what? He did it because he was a commie sympathizer. So it was... Back then, in 1963, they had already uh, were very were already very capable of making the com- and this was obviously apart from getting rid of JFK, it was to in the context of the in the political atmosphere of the time, it was to make the Soviets look bad, make the communists and the Ru- Russians look bad, and to make Americans afraid to question authority by suggesting that they were sympathizing with communists. Right. So uh, that was happening back then. They had no problem doing it back then of killing a president in broad daylight in Dallas and yeah. use some guy as a patsy, blame him, have him go down for it, and also blame him as a communist sympathizer. So effectively, almost by, by, by implication, the Soviets were involved in it. And people seem to think that these same people, 40, 50 years later, 50, over 50 years later, have a problem with going into a nightclub and shooting 50 people. 50 ordinary citizens, not the president, obviously, it's at nighttime in a dark nightclub, shoot 50, as they say, just you know, useless eaters. No, they wouldn't do that. They want to create a, an actor drama, a Hollywood scenario. Why? Just to mess with our heads? No. They've been killing people for decades in this way. And not just in America, around the world. I mean, every state, particularly the Americans and the British, have been doing this and have made... Uh, an art form out of it over the past 60, 70, 80 years. And they do it repeatedly. They're very, very good at it. They just don't think twice about it. They just have templates. What template will we use this time? Let's use that one. Remember we used that one back in the 70s? We'll use that one again. 
two guys go in there, two guys go in there, blah, blah, and then we spin it this way. I mean, it's they have it down, and this is why you need to understand the truth of history. And I'm not talking about conspiracy truth. I'm talking about events. There's an article on SAT about the crimes of the British Empire, and these are events that are effectively false flag attacks carried out by the British around the world in different places that have all since been revealed officially as being false flag attacks, i.e. where agents of the British state went around killing civilians en masse to blame someone else, to serve an Uh-oh. agenda. This has gone on which, repeatedly. Uh, and just, huh? So, uh, well, which article was that? Uh, what's it called? Um, Crimes of the... Crimes of the British Empire. It's a, it's a photo gallery with um, some background some text. information on I each mean, photo. In Kenya in the 1950s, before JFK, the Brits were going around Kenya uh, dressing themselves, painting their faces. British soldiers were painting their faces in Kenya, which was a British colony at the time, painting their faces in boot polish and dressing up in local, you know, uh, traditional local Kenyan garb, painting their faces with frickin' boot polish, going out at night and shooting white British settlers in Kenya, and blaming it on the Mau Mau, which was the resistance to British occupation at the time. In 1953, yet people today, because they're totally unaware of that one incident among many, totally unaware of it, they have a problem thinking that those same people cut from the same genetic cloth, effectively, would have a problem going into a nightclub in Orlando and shooting 50 people. Because they're totally unaware of what actually happens, and it's very normal, very mundane for these people. To go around killing civilians every now and again. If you, if people would only wake up and look at the hard facts, and I'm not talking about some conspiracy theory, some article on the internet. I'm talking about officially recognised facts where the British had to admit that they did this. The British government admitted that they went around painting their faces in boot polish and killing British people in Kenya to demonise their enemy. But apparently, that's not that. Is that not good enough proof that this happens and has happened for decades? And yet people still question the idea that they would do the same thing in Orlando. The people cut from the same genetic cloth, as I say, the same psychopathic types who have been in power since. Is it perhaps a generational thing? Like sort of like every, every like, sort of there's a mainstream population of people that sort of just don't really have a memory larger than sort of like say one generation's worth. And, and so it's only sort of maybe people who question things a little bit more that actually start to look right. at that wider historical context that actually reveals these things. Right, as very normal. Long. Yeah, I don't know why people don't do it, but obviously these people who, who, who can't accept this, these ideas, what happened today, don't know anything about recent history. I'm talking about recent modern history within the past 60, 70 years. And there's, there's like dozens and dozens of examples of Orlando, i.e., state-sponsored terrorism against civilian populations having happened repeatedly. There's, there's dozens of official, uh, hard f- official evidence that this has happened repeatedly. Well, the basic facts of, like, the multiple persons seen shooting at the, cr- at the crime scene, uh, that right. the, there's a couple of YouTube videos that sought, um, rep- um, that sought helped, um, uh, sought published, and, uh, they very clearly show sort of like mainstream media um, interviews that show that a certain number of eyewitnesses stated that there was um, two, possibly three, or even more, probably probably three maximum um, shooters in right. the club. Right. And 
that's that's like hard evidence that that's mm. like eyewitness first person eyewitness accounts right corroborating evidence corroborated evidence by multiple eyewitnesses but they ignore it yeah it it makes me makes me think that the the whole sort of like you know if if people are so sort of conspiratorial so to speak as to think of like oh well they're all actors but then they ignore something as um like as so-called conspiratorial as there being multiple shooters at the right. site and they don't even look at that first before even going into a more sort of complex type right. of conspiracy then it sort of almost points to them um being part of like some kind of like narrative that's like aimed at specifically mm-hmm. spreading those kinds of conspiracies like right. as if like to run, sort of like yeah to run it off the rails basically to make it so extreme that nobody will believe it it's probably yeah. some mix some element of Cointel Pro mixed with a a symptomatic schizophrenic reaction in society this is a relatively new thing and we first noticed it after Sandy Hook uh, which was a horrific event as well, where you had 20 very vulnerable people, I mean, six-year-old kids um, just slaughtered in the Ooh. classroom. And you can imagine the first time that's happening to, let's say, the American population in, in living memory that they know of, the mind, it's got to deal with that. And you can see why years of preceding efforts, obviously 9-11 is a big traumatic starting point, and then uh, a boom and a recession and people going homeless. It's it's a kind of, in substance, I think, the reason why this thing has legs and gets the most traction for those who, quote-unquote, question the official story is because they actually want some narrative that will protect a kind of an already fragile mind. It's, mm-hmm. it's a schizophrenic reaction to what reality is. It's smacking in their face and it's really harsh awakening and I think most people not more yeah we've discussed it already on this show most people are not um, they're not for this they never wanted to wake up they were happy with just just let me leave me alone in peace and this was never really meant for them you know what I mean hmm. uh, that's why I've, 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 tr- I've hard time even disputing any of the things they say because it's just so irrational and, and not based on any uh, any reason at all you know i mean we've 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 done shows on this i mean i don't know they're in the archives but last year i think we had uh ann cadwallader she's a a journalist a former bbc and irish tv journalist uh, and she uh, we talked to her about stuff in northern ireland during the 70s and 80s and there are ongoing have been ongoing for the past 10 years or so uh, international, um, I mean, international in terms of they bring in different uh, people to be part of these tribunals that investigate historical crimes, basically, is what they call them, in Northern Ireland. And, I mean, there's stuff that come out of that where, where it's officially recognised and they've, developed rep- they've produced reports that are not contested by anybody that show that the British government, the British soldiers were walking around the streets of Belfast in the 1970s and 80s in plain clothes or driving around in cars, driving into... Uh, a Protestant area, an area of loyalists, you know, pro-British, uh, uh, just civilians, and shooting five or six people in the street at night, walking home from a bar, and then allowing the blame to fall on the IRA. Mm. I mean, and that's that's been paid for by the frickin' British government. The British government is sanctioning that. They're saying, yeah, we did that. 
And that, how is that any, any, in any way tangibly different from our contention that that is the same thing that happened in Orlando? And why would somebody not just accept that as, as fact when it's historical proof, it's, a, it's a historically accurate, it's historical fact that that kind of thing has been going on at the level of state state uh, operations for for decades. I mean, I think it's maybe it's a different story in the U.S. Maybe, Go ahead. Maybe, oh, um, may, maybe it's just that like a certain level of common sense is required or something to it's a to superpower to <laughs> to to accept just well just to realize like logically sort of one plus one equals two that hey that's that's a fact so therefore you know this this is what the most likely possible probability is and you know what in terms of the people who would do this kind of thing just after day after orlando there's a facebook group of uh, marines a closed facebook group of marines out of somewhere in the u.s whatever they all post stuff on their little closed facebook book group and one member, one of their members, one of them, a Marine, posted a picture of him or himself or, or, or a friend or something, one of the Marines in his military uniform with his hand on a rifle, on an automatic uh, rifle, on the trigger, and underlying, uh, underneath the caption was, coming to a gay bar near you. So you have a picture of a U.S. Marine basically endorsing Orlando and saying, We're, you know, I would do this again. Or I would do this in another bar, and people. Oh, say, or I'm he's flagging his recruitment. Please sign me up for the next one. Right, I would do it. So the, the idea that there aren't people out there who could be recruited to go, particularly because of homophobia and stuff, to go and shoot in in America, shoot a bar full of a, homo, a gay bar, shoot up a bunch of people in it. It's just ridiculous. It, it flies in the face of hard evidence on freaking Facebook posted by the people themselves. They're coming out saying, "Yeah." I'd shoot a bunch of gay people. Oh, no, but there's nobody who would do that. It has to be an actor. Well, you get a grip. There are people out there who do that in a heartbeat and they'll freaking pay you. They'll pay you to do it. Where can I? Where, I'll pay you any money you want to let me go into a bar and shoot a bunch of people because I love doing that. And they're talking about it on the freaking internet. But people have a problem with it. Hang on. Uh, yeah, carry on. Anyway, yeah. Joe, I wanted uh, to just say one thing. Or go ahead, Ryan. Do you have anything no, no, to say? No, 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 no. Go ahead, Harrison. Okay. Well, I'd, uh, you just made the point, Joe, that there are people willing to do this. And I think, at least from my perspective, like when this first happened, um, I always try to keep open as many possibilities as possible, you know, before I know what the facts and, and make a, you know, a theory based on those facts. So me personally, I don't have any um, problem accepting the fact that or the, the possibility that perhaps every once in a while there is just some crazy guy or some, um, you know, bigot or, or, or whatever that will go out and kill a whole bunch of people. will just mm. snap and lose it without any kind of state sponsorship or being handled or whatever. Now, but in this specific case, there's, there are several points that make me think that that's not what happened. Now, first of all, because I think if that would, if that, if that's what would have happened, if then, um, according to some things I've read, because I don't have any kind of, um, you know, military experience or tactical experience, but according to, you know, what some people have read said, and, the, and they seem pretty credible, that it's just not feasible for one guy to go in, shoot that many rounds and kill that many people. Right. Don't get it's me just wrong. It's not possible. So don't get it, me wrong. Well, yeah. just, just 
to make it clear, when I'm talking about that guy, that yeah. Marine on Facebook, I'm not talking about him as the, the what's his name, Martin, supposed mm-hmm. shooter guy. I'm talking about the government being able to find somebody yeah. in the US who would be willing to take part in a covert operation to go yes. in and shoot a bunch of gay people and blame it on mm-hmm. a patsy. No mm-hmm. problem whatsoever. Yeah. No, for sure. And but in this so in this specific case, there's there's not only that, but then there's the actual like facts on the ground that sh- that suggest that this guy couldn't have done it alone. And then you yeah. add on top of that the, the the witnesses saying there are more shooters. There were more shooters. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. add into that something that Ryan said earlier about the, the historical perspective. And I think most people just don't read. They're not curious enough to actually look into history. All they care about is the last week or two. And But if you go back to one of the most famous shootings, we already talked about JFK, but you look at RFK. Mm. Now, there's Sirhan Sirhan, and everyone agrees, and he, even he will admit that, yes, he shot at RFK. Of course, he says he doesn't remember it, which is credible, and there are very various people and experts who, who agree that that he was in some kind of trance when it happened and he has no memory of actually doing it. But the thing about that is that there was at least a second shooter. And this is what's been ignored for the past 50 years is that there was another shooter and the, the ballistics and the autopsy of RFK show that he was, sh- he was shot like the killing, the killing shot came from like right behind his head. Right. Um, you know, point blank, someone else was there, but we don't hear about that. So when we look at Orlando, Really, if if there were more than one people, if there was more than one person in, involved, then, and if it was just this, um, you know, random event that happened without any kind of covert operation going on, then there's no problem with admitting that there's more than one shooter. I mean, look at Columbine. They mm-hmm. could easily get away with that. But the fact that they're covering it up Denying and that they're... It. They're totally denying it, and the the local Orlando police and the FBI are saying, "Oh no, there's only one shooter. Everyone else is is incorrect." That says something. That says they're covering something up, and it, mm-hmm. and that makes me think of Sir Hans and, and RFK. Mm-hmm. Is that there's something else going on? Because really, if there were other shooters, they should have no problem saying it. But the fact that they can't say it and that they're denying it really says right. something. It says they don't want to catch these other people. Well, because they're because they can't catch them because they don't know where they are and they they got well away <laughs> yeah. and they don't want to admit to it because that line of investigation would lead them to somewhere where they just couldn't go, they wouldn't be allowed to go. Mm-hmm. And I think the narrative was already established. Uh, I mean, this would probably it's established by the media or it's established by the higher ups that feed information or feed orders down to the police chief in the area, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's just told, listen, we're going with just one guy on this, and the guy said, yeah, but you know, we were all shot at by multiple people. Uh, or there's ev- clear evidence of multiple shooters, and there's different caliber bullets in there. For Christ's sakes, I mean that you know, I mean that there's there's more than one rifle. Uh, that, I mean, you can imagine the amount of evidence that would point to there being. I mean, you can't go into a a, a nightclub with three guys and shoot the place up and kill fifty people, uh, and then only leave evidence of there being one person there. Hmm. So obviously that the evidence has to be covered up, and um, I mean the same thing happened in France here last year and stuff. You know, after the Charlie Hebdo thing early last year, you know, you had there's obviously in both of those events there was evidence, clear evidence of more than one. Again, the same as Orlando, people were eyewitnesses saying more than one 
a shooter or in the case of Charlie Hebdo more than two shooters and uh, like white skinned guys the people who they put as the patsies people were saying yeah well maybe but the guy I saw was very stocky white and short hair where's he mm. uh you know, and and then the police, for example, like right after the Charlie Hebdo thing, uh, police a police chief down in Limoges was working on the investigation. Suddenly decided to kill himself. Um, you know, at all points, oh, just yeah, uh, at all points, I think cover that up as well to a certain extent. You know, um, just goes away. You know, but um, there's obviously going to be a lot. Of, the problem here is is a lot of people involved of course they're all kind of authoritarians and take orders but there's got to be a lot of people involved who are you know effectively innocent in the sense of they're just coming to it and um, I think they're going to investigate it and they're undoubtedly coming across information that um, that really doesn't doesn't fit with the official story mm-hmm. but they're finding out very quickly that yeah best to go with the official story on this one and people will do that, you know. Well, I I kind of wonder about that. Sort of like I mean, like people that would just sort of go in and and look at the look at the story and then and then sort of go, well, the evidence clearly says otherwise. But you know the um like it might you know it might might affect um my my journalism career or something like that mm. if i if i was to like you know write a story that was you know like potentially interpreted as being too conspiratorial or mm. something like that very, I, I don't get that there are very like few if, people because they're not warriors the system doesn't select for warriors well yeah and also they have a lot of a lot of practice in it you know i mean you go back to iraq and all the bullshit about iraq and uh saddam hussein and al-qaeda i mean these people who work in, in mainstream media are I don't know. The, the just... British commandos caught in um, in the uh, in Basra uh, right. flag attacks in Iraq that they drove a tank into the the jail to rescue. Right. I mean, this kind of thing it's been going on for a long time, and people in the media have been covering it for a long time, and they seem to have just come to been able to accept the fact that yeah, well, we don't really report the facts; we just report what we're told to report. And of course, in 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 journalists and in, in journalism and um, in in media organisations and stuff. You know, you have an editor. You can write a story, but you have to give it to your editor. And your editor is a fairly high-level person in the in the organization, mm-hmm. and he's taking his orders from the owner of the organization, who is a best friend of uh, someone in the government. Uh, yeah, I just read your story, and uh, I'm going to make some edits. Can you the Finland ver- troll story that that SOT ran uh, last year? I think was a was quite a good example of that. I thought where the sort of the corporate like the the owners these pathological well most likely psychopathic owners of these corporations were editor edit, were exercising strong editorial control over what was being published. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's and you know, the, in Australia. <laughs> yeah. That's the, way, that's the way it works, you know, and we just best accept it, you know. It's not really that uh, that strange, uh, you know. It's the way history has has proceeded, the way f- events in history have well, proceeded we, for so we long. Well, we don't have to. We, we can, well, I guess, spread the truth as best we can in our own way as right. an alternative I guess, rather than just sort of like, you know, um, like let them tell their lies, I suppose, and, you know, I guess <laughs> it's probably pretty unrealistic to think that we're going to be able to stop the mainstream media from pumping out like you right. know a, 
a, a proverbial SHIT ton of propaganda. Yeah, um, the best thing to do is let them realise that they're, own, they're their own worst enemy and they're going nowhere but because um, as, as these events continue to increase and the lies of the media continues to you know, to continue to, to increase as well. Um, and what they say continues to diverge more and more from what people can see with their own eyes. And especially when you've got someone like uh, Putin and stuff uh, coming along and as mm. officially kind of pointing it out and saying, yeah, I mean, he's got some power in the sense of he's got a, a, an audience, he has reach and stuff. And, uh, and if, when he comes along and does, when Russia is doing what it's, what's doing really at, antagonizing NATO in that way, you know, by basically not just bowing down and taking it. Um, they're pushing the warmongers to increasingly um, desperate and uh, dangerous. Risk, uh, riskier endeavors. Riskier endeavors, yeah. Uh, which at some point may, and already has really happened, where it leads to the situation where their official story or their official claim about something, but what Russia's doing or what happened here or what happened there really does diverge massively from what people can actually see or what even makes sense to people, you know? And we've seen that happen, you know? And uh, since Russia's been on the scene and doing what it's doing, uh, there have been a lot of people, I think, particularly in, in Europe and stuff, who really are starting to see the BS, you know? Uh, from the West and just not but not believe stuff anymore, you know? Mm. Well, RT.com has been a, a breath of fresh air for news over the oh. last few years, I think. Uh, just the 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 artic the uh, the way they write the articles, um it's it's a lot clearer and easier to read and, and much more sort of like factual like mm -hmm. the facts are sort of laid out quite clearly. Um compared to like some mainstream media sources where it tends to be sort of wishy-washy nonsense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're funnier too. Yeah. Humor is important. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we just got to yeah. keep an eye on it, you know, and, and keep watching and we can throw our bits in here and there, you know, but uh, really, you know, it's kind of like not my, not my circus. What's the phrase? Not my circus, not my monkeys type of thing. Uh, to a certain extent, you can, you can have some detachment yeah. from it and just watch them collapse under the weight of their own Hubris. monstrous BS. You know, uh, it's best to stand back. You know, when, you know when a building's about to collapse, it's best to kind of keep your distance. You know, in case you get caught up in the in, yeah. in the in the flying bricks and stuff. You know, so psychologically, you can kind of do that and, and yeah. not feel that it's your responsibility to to bring it down or to, you know, stop it all happening because it's going to go where it's going to go and it's not looking good where it's going because that kind of thing just... Yeah, it even, does. even just the act of live chatting, the building collapsing... Right. ...is actually helping it to collapse. Yeah. So just step, step away from the danger zone. <laughs> Psych psychologically step away and don't feel that responsibility that you have to do something about it, you know, that you have to... Because and, and, then you'll get depressed because, like you said, we're not going to be able to defeat the mainstream media or defeat the powers that be... But the good news is, is they're going to defeat themselves. Uh, mm. And we can just add in a little, a little flick of a pebble here and there to increase the weight, you know, or to put, you know, or to help them help themselves down the, down the toilet bowl. Um, you know, if they're, you know, if you see them caught on the rim of the toilet bowl, you can just go over and help to take that last finger off, you know, <laughs> down you go, <laughs> you know, well, it's not true. It's just, you know, helping nature.
Take its course. Take its course, yeah. Anyway. Mm. There was a but, good um, uh, Muller NASA Eden quote I saw on Twitter from Gurdjieff that said, uh, better, better to um, pluck ten, tears, 10 hairs a day from your mother's head than not help nature. Um, right. I thought that was quite apropos. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, Ryan, yeah. uh, we're going to push off here. No, no, no problems, mate. No problems. Um, yeah, um, yeah, great chat. Um, really interesting interview. Um, yeah, thanks everybody. Um, yeah, thanks Laura for for um, like you yeah, steering a steering, steering a course. Yep. And, and we will we'll talk to you. This is the second time you've called in, so long may it continue. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> oh, cheers. <laughs> Hope you'll tune well, in next week. All right, cheers, mate. Okay, um, right. Yeah, might, might call back in a bit later. Um, yeah, might call back in next week, possibly. Okay, great. Week. Cool. Have a good day. Cheers, mate. Thanks. See ya. See ya. You Thanks, Ryan. All right. Any parting words, Harrison? No. Live long and prosper? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Never give up. Never, never surrender. <laughs> never give up. Never <laughs> surrender. Anyway. Um, yeah. We're going to call it quits. Thanks to Stephen, or not Stephen, Stefan, Stefan, Stephen, um, for coming on and having a chat with us about his, his take on things. And obviously to Laura, as Ryan was just saying there, it's always good to have her um, her take on things straight to straight, some straight shooting from Laura Knight Yajik. And yeah, and to our chatters and our callers, Ryan and TC. And we will be back next week with another show to be announced stay tuned uh, until then have a good one have a good week see ya bye bye